Hey everybody, welcome back to the Canberra Business Podcast. Jonathan Dorr with you once again. Great to be your host for another episode. I think you'll enjoy this one. We've had some great guests in recent weeks. I hope you've had a chance to listen to some of those episodes. But this week, we're really going to bring you some value from one of the best business minds, I think, in the country, and definitely another great Canberra Business success story. Housekeeping from me, please subscribe to the podcast. Wherever you're hearing this, uh, you can use the Apple Podcast subscribe button, the... uh, there's a Spotify button there. There is Spreaker, Stitcher, Android, Google Play. You can use the email box if that's easy. We'd just love to make sure that we're able to bring you the episode each Monday morning when we launch a new one. Uh, please take a moment uh, to check out the Canberra Executive Coaching website. That's uh, the business that I'm looking after here. Over the last decade, I've had the pleasure of speaking around the world to over 400,000 people in live seminars. So if you need some staff training in this particular areas of learning, training and development within your business that would benefit from some really tailored seminars or some staff training, then please reach out and get in touch with me. It's my great pleasure to have a conversation with you about that. Now, down to business, Ben Bowley. Ben Bowley is today's guest, former managing director of Apple started his own charter aviation business at one point. He's worked with Raymarine. He's had an amazing business background. But here today we're talking about the great Canberra startup that uh, Ben's been part of and it's called Today's Plan. This is a tech startup that is really reaching the world. It's already signed up some major global players in the sporting space and it's got thousands, tens of thousands of subscribers now. So if you're like me, you're surprised to hear just how dynamic and excellent the Canberra business community really is. Ben's been featured in multiple publications, Australian Financial Review, all of that stuff will be in the show notes, but I think he speaks for himself. He just brings uh, wisdom, a groundedness, a passion for how tech solves real problems, and a real love for what's happening here in the national capital amongst its business community. So that's it from me. Let's hear from Ben. This is a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Canberra Business Podcast, and here he is, Mr. Ben Bowley from Today's Plan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Canberra Business Podcast. So good to have the pleasure of your company. Once again, we've got a very special guest. We've got Mr. Ben Bowley from today's plan. Ben, I want to start with a very important question. Many people can remember where they were, very special moments in history. I remember where I was with 9-11. Older generation might remember where they were. Kennedy was shot. Do you remember where you were when Canberra's Matt Heyman won Parry roubaix <laughs> I do not, I'm afraid. Really? Uh, I'm going to have to get him on the podcast one day. I was thinking, does he have a business? I'll, I'll start a business for him so he can come on the podcast. No, it was a, it was a great Canberra story. I remember being on the, in the lounge with the kids, very exciting times. Well, Ben, great to have you with us. My friend, you have pioneered some really interesting stuff with some fascinating people around the tech industry, and you're doing fascinating stuff on a global scale that we want to talk about. Your story begins on a farm. Yeah, that's right. In fact, uh, just over the hills from here. Really? Where was it? In uh, Tumut, so just across the Brindies. And uh, I grew up. I grew up there. Had a fantastic childhood in the in the Tumut Valley. And um, my family moved there when I was one year old. I was the youngest of four kids, yep. and uh, you know, just a, an idyllic childhood. You probably don't appreciate it at the time, growing up on a farm and riding horses every day. It seems like a chore, but it was fantastic. What do you think it taught you? Looking back, what are some of the key memories, learnings that you take from starting life that way? I think you learn to look after yourself. I think you learn 
to get the job done and to hang in when things aren't going your way. It's, uh, you know, country life can be pretty tough. You know, it, uh, I think I, when we moved there, it didn't stop raining for a year or two. And then uh, a few years after that, there was drought for years on end. So, you know, you learn as a family and you learn as an individual to see hard times through and persevere. You mentioned, like in the notes that we've shared, I was going to get to this later, but some of the best business advice you were ever given was about never giving up. Does some of that go back to the farm? I think it does. You've, uh, you know, perseverance takes you a long way in life. I mean, you can't, you can't just persevere for the sake of it. You've got to check and recheck your thinking and your ideas. But at the end of the day, a lot of times you've just got to stick at it. No matter how hard it, how hard it seems, how tough it is, you've just got to stick things out. Well, as, a, as an entrepreneur and as a business person, you're obviously data-driven and, and so much of the today's plan story is data-driven. You know, what you've just shared with us there about persevering, you don't persevere for its own sake. How do you make the decision in business, So, looking back over your career so far, when you keep going, when you pivot, when you just go, no, how do you make those key decisions? That that's a great question, and it's it's not an easy one to answer. You uh, you consult your peers, you know, fellow directors, other other people in the team, other people in the industry, you know, and and listen to people, draw them out, ask smart questions, and you take all that information and you put it in the old thinking pot called your brain, yeah. and uh, try and draw some conclusions. And if you do draw some conclusions, and you suspect you're going down the wrong path and you need to change something, then it's great to be able to test that. And one of the beautiful things about our business is we're an online platform and we can test things with a small group of customers yeah. and see how they react, see what happens, or even survey those customers. And there's a lot in that. We're gonna, we'll dig through this as we go. You brought James Peake on for, as a UX designer, so user experience is kind of crucial to you, user feedback. So that's obviously a key part of decision-making for you guys. Absolutely. I mean, you know, right from day one, our CTO and, and one of my co-founders, Andrew Hall, was very big on the whole idea of the voice of the customer. So all of us to this day, we get every support ticket in our email. And uh, I wouldn't say we read everyone, but boy, we, uh, you know, all the directors read a lot of them. And so you're hearing what, you know, what customers are saying, what they're asking, if they're struggling with something, uh, you immediately see if we've got a bug or something like that. So listening to customers, that immediate feedback is really important to us. And the other side of that is responding quickly to customers and giving them what they need is super important and has been a real strength of our business because in this day and age, word of mouth and customers sharing with with their friends is the most powerful form of marketing you have as an online business. Yeah, it's crucial. You'll have come across, you know, black sheep cycling up on the Gold Coast. Sure. I just, I've, I've liked their business. I think they're actually, what they're doing with customer experience in terms of their packaging and marketing, but also how quickly they respond to stuff has been really good. So like, you make a great point. I want to take you back as before we press into to all this gold. I always ask people, when you grew up, back on the farm in Tumut, the influential people in your life, your parents, uh, who we talked about off air, what do you think you've taken from them? As you look at their life and how you grew up, what have you brought from them into your business journey? Boy, that's a deep and insightful question as well. You know, my dad grew up uh, during the Great Depression. You know, he was he was six years old during the Great Depression. He he had a lot of hardship as a child. His father lost the family farm in Western Australia, and 
it put pressure on their marriage, on, on his parents' marriage, and they split up. So my father moved to the East in a one-parent family mm-hmm. then. And I guess that gives you a certain perspective on life that I think, you know, if you think about those things happening to you when you're six years old, that gives you, it would drive so many values in your life. Especially at that time in history too. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I think that to say that my dad, I reflect on this a lot now, being a father myself, and I think that those influential things in my father's life, I think perhaps really subconsciously guided him and the way he brought us up. And so we, I think, you know, as, as kids, we did get a lot of responsibility, you know, very young. I look at a lot of the things that my parents let us do and uh, and made us do, you know, made us help around the farm and that sort of thing. And that I don't think I'd have the guts to let my kids do that. But to him, it was just, you know, you you, you got to do this. And so I'm talking about things like, like a lot of farm kids do, you know, driving vehicles, driving tractors, plowing fields, doing jobs, uh, you know, it's all part of the makeup. And so it gives you a work ethic, which I can tell you that work ethic is very handy later on in life uh, when you're running a tech startup. You know, it doesn't have to be a tech startup. Any business is hard work. You work very long hours and you're always on and, you know, that's the way it is on a farm as well. I think there's a lot of analogies yeah, between, between, between farming and a, and a tech startup. I, I, I love what you say there about the work side of it. Louise Curtis, who I did an interview with recently, you know, she just, we had a laugh saying that I think there's some public perception that people in business or who create successful businesses basically just stroll through sunlit fields of unicorns, you know, buying yachts. But there's a huge amount of work to get it done. So you learn this from your father, you learn the, the personal responsibility, the work ethic. What do you think you learn from your mum? Well, I think the same things. You know, our probably in our family, it was a non-traditional you know, parental relationship, as in my father was also a dentist, so he had a practice in town. When the children, when the family were younger, you know, mum stayed at home, but she would run the farm. So for me, I'd get home from school, get off the school bus, uh, you know, go up, have some afternoon tea and we'd saddle up the horses and go and do some, you know, a bit of sheep oh, and yeah. cattle work. Oh, and yeah. so, you know, that's that we weren't doing it for fun. You know, it was, it was, was a job, but looking back, what a great job. And how do you go, when I first saw that you'd grown up on a farm, to go from farm life to starting, you know, to working with Apple and then Raymarine and then in Charter Aviation and then starting this, you know, today's plan, which we want to talk about, how do you go from farm life to being so immersed in the tech world? What was your journey? That's that's also a good question. Well, you know, the, the step to the big smoke, you know, was filled with the little smoke. I went to school in Bathurst, which I thought was okay. the big smoke, you know. You and I went to All Saints there in Bathurst, and then I went to the city after that. And I almost fell into, uh, you know, I fell into the tech world. Uh, I'd started studying in Sydney for a while. I deferred, and I was doing this and that for work. And a boyfriend of my sister got me a job at a, you know, at a tech distributor. And uh, it all started from there. And I was there for a couple of years. I learned the trade, I suppose, learned, learned some skills, then went to another tech company, actually a Japanese tech company, Mitsui. And from there, I went to Apple. And uh, that was, yeah. uh, you know, all of those things were done via building relationships with people. And that's, uh, yeah. you know, ultimately, that's how I got the job at Apple. Michelle Melbourne, who you know founded a great tech startup here in Canberra, talks about her sliding doors moment. You know she was going to be, she was going to go into organisational psychology and stuff, and then somebody just goes, "Hey, uh, you know, why don't you go and try this job in Sydney, doing training work?" And she jokes about being one page ahead in the manual. 
But I'm interested in your take on the difference between this idea that, you know, people build careers and they map it out from the start and kids must get this certain score so they can go into this course, as opposed to just responding to opportunities as they come. Like, do you look back on your career now and go, you mapped this out, you had a vision from the start about where you wanted to be, or did these things happen early and you just took the opportunities oh, as I they came? I definitely took the opportunities as they, arri- as they arose, as they came. It was... Uh, now, definitely not mapped out for me. In fact, I would say that working for the straight tech companies that I've worked for, you know, I wasn't overly engaged with that technology. I didn't love working in those companies for the technology. Yeah, I yeah. actually enjoy using the technology yeah, more yeah. now for the things that we do in today's plan yeah, rather yeah. than in those companies. It was the other things in those companies, the business side of it, the learning side of it, that stimulated me more than the technology per se. And the people side of it, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Just quickly, I mean, Apple's people have always got an interest, but looking back on that time, what are some of the uh, the key memories or experiences that you had there? Wow. Well, I think people look now, and particularly younger generation, and see this massively successful company, which it is, uh, which is which is fantastic. And perhaps if they took the time to have a look at the journey of Apple. They'd yeah. see a lot of ups and downs as well. You know, people yeah. forget that in the in the mid nineteen nineties. Apple was almost bankrupt. It was yeah. Microsoft that lent Apple 150 million US dollars to help keep it afloat. I guess probably through self-interest, so Microsoft didn't have to face antitrust. Antitrust laws, yeah. yeah. But, you know, but Apple had you know very good core business and and core this really sticky core customer group that kept buying Apple no matter what and kept the company alive. And most companies don't don't survive that. And how do you explain that? I mean, it's like in terms of you've got a great tech startup that you're building now. How do you explain that? core loyalty but that Apple had? I mean, in, in a general sense, how do you think companies build that? I think by creating something that's unique, by building a vision, you know, people follow that vision. They love that vision. And, you know, at Apple, in those days, people definitely bought into that vision. And, you know, at times of change now, it's easy to swap platforms and that sort of thing. But I think that people feel this sense of belonging. Remember back then, Apple had a much smaller market share. It was the, yeah. it was the underdog. And yeah. uh, people, I think, love the underdog as well. I remember that famous commercial they did. Was it his to the what was that one? Oh, the the uh, think different. His, that's right. His to yeah, the crazy yeah. ones, the rebels. Yeah, this that's week, right. Yes. So, how did it change you? What did you in that time with Apple? What do you think you learned? How did you grow as a as a business operator in that? Yeah, experience? sure. And look, as you know, as ve- I was very young uh, when I went to Apple. I think the things I saw were, I mean, in my first year at Apple, the share price went from. I think $25 at the time to $75 in a year. It trebled. Ouch. And then a few years later, it, it had crashed. I mean, you know, it goes up and down. That's, yeah, yeah. that's the point. And, you know, it's that lesson about there are good times and there are bad times. Yeah. And, you know, you, you've got to have the internal fortitude to drive through the bad times and yeah. have, have the vision and, and uh, you know, be able to push through those times. Stressful at times. Yeah, of course, you know I think every job has its uh, has its stress, but you know a lot of pleasure there as well, and a lot of learning about you know about how powerful a brand can be, and that's something you know Steve Jobs had this incredible vision for the power of the brand. That was always you know hearing Steve talk when you were in a room with him, hearing him talk about the brand yeah. was very it was a lot of clarity in that. It was like Moses coming down from Sinai. <laughs> that's right. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned something before you talked about tech and you said, you know, you love the people side of things, but you said you enjoy using tech. What do you enjoy about technology, even if what you're building now, what is it about technology that you most enjoy or appreciate? I love the way it enables things. Uh, that's that's I guess to summarise what I love. You know, in our business, 
the technology lets people, lets us bring together for our customers all these different elements to let them you know, become better athletes, to, to let them train better, more efficiently and that sort of stuff. So it's the enabling side of that. And I think, uh, you know, look at the internet. It's There's some bad in the internet, but there's a lot of good. There's so much enablement in the technology around the internet. You're currently, I mean, th- these numbers could be a bit behind now, but uh, 11,000 subscribers, you're probably at more now. Uh, in 50 countries, you've got these amazing partnerships with some incredible global brands. We want to talk about those in a minute. The company forms around 2014. Mm-hmm. You launch in 2017, 2016? Uh, tw- we for uh, 2015. 2015. January to, to it down under 2015. So yeah. what I want to know is take us to the moment where either you or Andrew or Matthew Wilson or Mark Fenner, what was the moment when someone said, hey, I've got an idea? What, do you remember that moment? Was it you? Was it was it a group thing? How did you, what was the genesis point? For the whole business? Yeah. Sure. Well, I guess it, it starts with three of us. It starts with, with Mark Fenner, Andrew and myself. And the way, the way it worked is I'd gone into cycling about five years earlier yeah. before I started today's plan. I'd started just socially riding with some mates and we'd enjoyed that. And I'd been carrying quite a bit of weight more than I'd care to admit. And, uh, you know, the cycling helped me get the weight off and keep it off. So that was a good thing. And, and then, after a few years of doing that riding socially, uh, you know, on the weekends, a mate and I said, "Hey, let's let's do one of these one of these races we hear about, one of these half marathon races." So, we did the Highland Fling in the Southern Highlands, you know, sixty kilometer half marathon at the time, and uh, you know that was pretty good. And honestly, we we didn't struggle too much with that. About three hours to do the race, and we really enjoyed it. And uh, I think we did another half, and then we said, "Hey, you know, we." Our cycling, our mountain biking career is not complete unless we do, <laughs> unless we do a marathon, a hundred k race. And so we did one out of Sydney called the Convict, which uh, is up around uh, the Wiseman's Ferry, St Albans region. It's a beautiful ride. You're riding along the, the ridge top. Is this and- one where you crashed? Don't I. I probably crashed. Because okay. there's one where you crashed and you had yeah, bad grazes and you didn't quite yet. You pulled out at 90k? Oh, no. That that was my last Highland Fling okay. where, where I right. crashed in the first 100 metres. Oh, was, really? Yeah. You know, Jonathan, I don't want you to tell that Sorry, story. Sorry. No, we'll, we'll get the editors on that. Right. So, so look, my mate and I decided to do this Convict 100. Yeah. And uh, we trained for it. You know, we, we've got another friend who... You know, told us how to train, you know, you do hill repeats, you do this, you know, you do that. You know, we'd read about you need nutrition and whatever. And we trained and we went and we did the we did the event and we finished it together in six hours and two minutes. Yep. That's not a bad effort for your first 100K mountain bike race. The next time I did that event, I did it in four hours, 47 minutes. Wow. And that's, that's about 23% faster. Right. But I didn't spend any more time training. I didn't have a lighter bike. I wasn't lighter myself. There was no magic in terms of I didn't fall off the first time. So the question is, how did I make myself 23% faster without spending more time on my bike? And the answer is because I did proper structured training. And the guy that, you know, set that training for me was Mark Fenner, who's a leading coach. And so I, you know, as I was working in the corporate world in Ray Marine and, and had a young family, and he was my little thing on the side that I did you know, which was getting coached by Mark, which was a luxury, but I was able to afford it. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, Andrew, who I didn't know at the time, is a, is an elite mountain biker as well. Yeah. He's one of those nutters that does those solo 24-hour races, uh, though he hasn't done any lately. He's got, he's got a young family now. But, you know, Andrew is a fairly analytical guy, also had his frustrations with the tools available to him at the time, yeah. the, the technology tools to, to see, 
you know, where he could improve. And Mark, as a coach, you know, if you think about anyone who coaches, particularly coaching athletes, uh, you are time poor and, you know, you, you really, you can only make as much money as the technology tools you have allow you to do. Yeah. You take that perspective from the three of us. We each had our own, could see a, a better way, each of us from our own perspective. Andrew, from his perspective as an elite analytical athlete, Mark as a leading coach, mm-hmm. and myself just as an age group competitor, I thought, wow, wouldn't this be great? to bring this structured training to the masses. Yeah. You know, not everyone has the time or money or the inclination to go take a coach, uh, but wouldn't it be great to give them a step onto structured training and, and, and allow them to enjoy those benefits yeah. that, that I got, you know, getting 23% better for the same amount of time on the bike. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sold. I'll, uh, I know what I'll be doing after the podcast. So that Genesis point, was it over you know, a couple of wines one night, you're all sitting around going, hey, what if you did this and what have you brought that? Was that how it happened? How did it Look, come together? Yeah. It, you know, over a few months, we started talking about these things and, and we got together and, and discussed discussed our ideas and started mapping them out. You know, Andrew is a is an absolutely prodigious developer of software in terms of his volume. You know, he's a 10x developer. So in the development world, you just have people who can churn out literally 10 times more than anyone else. Really? He's one of those guys. Just coding, I mean, cranking stuff Coding, in. got it in his head, you know, the, 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 it just blows me away the amount of stuff he can fit in his head. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Now, you know, the other part of the story is, uh, you know, you mentioned a few people there, James, who's our UI UX uh, lead, yep. and Matthew Wilson, who's uh, who's an investor in our business, but also a, a director of a cybersecurity company here in Canberra. And Andrew, Matthew, and James had all worked together in previous startups that Matthew had been involved with. So, you know, those guys had a long history together over probably 15 or 20 years. Yeah. So, uh, you know, had, had worked and, and knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. And uh, so that's that's the genesis of the, of the business and the idea. There's two things on that I want to ask you. One is Louise spoke brilliantly in a recent interview about opportunity, about how success in business is often about the ability to perceive opportunity. So you guys have obviously, you know, seen this disruptive merging point between tech and the desire for leveraging time. And so talk to us about the perception of opportunity. I mean, is it just obvious? Was it just a no-brainer? In your business experience, how do you perceive opportunity? How do you execute on it? What I'm, I'm thinking of people listening going, okay, well, this is great. That's obvious. You know, Ben's building this business. It makes sense. Talk to us about the perception of opportunity. How do, how do you find it? How do you- well, you do those things we spoke about earlier. You go out, you talk to people, you do research, you use that marvelous tool, the interwebs, yeah. uh, and, you, and you do a lot of research into it. You know, maybe other people who are slightly in the space or somewhat in the space talk and discuss things with people. But you can do so much research, then you've got to be driven by, uh, you know, your own instinct on these things. Yeah. And you, you put things out, you test them, and then you iterate them if they aren't right. And that's what it's about, you know, listening to customers and iterating your product if you're getting enough feedback is really important. So we've avoided any major pivot points per se because, you know, we're listening to the feedback early on and changing things, uh, you know, for the better. So is this like, I mean, have you read Eric Rees' Lean Startup? Is it that kind of thing? Like you just, you bring out your beta you get feedback as rapidly as possible. You you iterate, iterate, iterate. Is that absolutely, yeah. absolutely? And in this day and age of you know cloud platforms, uh, you know people, you, your customers are expecting they're, they're paying a subscription and they're expecting your product to grow and develop and change and improve under your uh, under their feet. 
you know. And and of course, Google are the masters of that. Every time you use Google Maps, there's been an update. Yeah. Not that you know that. Yeah. You know, they've, they've just improved it some way. And so, you know, as a smaller tech startup, you know, we try and do those things. And, you know, at least every two weeks, new features or, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a new integration or a new something, a new bit of sports science that some of our customers may find valuable. Not not everyone's going to find everything valuable. It's about, you know, it's it's about giving people a choice of, of the things they may. Well, let me ask you, this is a really important question. The, the process of iteration and the voice of the customer, I've felt with some platforms over the years, there's almost this compulsion to add layers of benefit and features, which can eat away at the the simplicity and the core functionality. So I'm really interested in that question. Like today, I mean, we all use Strava. I'm on Strava. I'm waiting for the bunch to roll out today. And the damn thing is on some kind of audio mode. It's talking to me. It's going, paused, paused, resuming. And I'm going, everyone's looking at me. I'm going, I'm that guy. I've become that guy. And I'm like, no, that's, I don't want that feature. So Tell me, I'm really interested in this because I, I don't know the answer. Of, you know, is there pressure on you as a tech startup to keep adding stuff when you may have the beauties and the simplicity? How do you navigate that question? Okay, interesting question. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of answer this longhand yeah. because it's, it's the other way up for us. You know, where today's plan sits is right at the tip of the spear yeah. currently. So, you know, we, we have a very solid business in in coaches and and their athletes, yeah. and we cr- create a microclimate for those people. Uh, we have two of the world's best, you know, cycling teams on our books yeah. with Team Sky and Trek Siegfried, where they're exclusive data and analytics partner. And then in self-coached athletes, uh, you know, we have people, the people who get the most out of our platform are quite analytical, data-driven people. Yeah. So the challenge for us is actually to add or, or to maintain that functionality but broaden our appeal by making it easy to use, easier to use for the every person. Right, okay. So we talk about making structured training as easy to use as Google makes navigation on your phone. Yeah. And that's our goal because there's a whole market that sits between that, you know, the higher end of the pyramid, the tip of the spear, and down at Strava, which Strava's made an incredible business in, in telling people, uh, you know, how they're going against their mates and, yeah, and, yeah. and this and that. But we're about telling people, how to get better. Yeah. So, you know, for you, Jonathan, uh, we can tell you what sort of rider you are yeah, you know, and yeah. what sort of events. If you want to win an event, you know, w- where your power profile is going to best sit for an event, you know, what you should target and how to improve for that event. Guys like us, built like us, we shouldn't be trying to ride the Alps in uh, in the Giro, right? Uh, Forty minute clothes we'll, out our cup of tea. We'll post some photos. I, I love what you've done. I, I was in the research. I looked at how I think it's a masterstroke that you took the base platform, which obviously was a volume proposition. Let's get as many people like me into the platform. But I think it's very clever that you've kind of gone, you know what, our other market is coaches, so we're going to give them the functionality. And, and you, am I right, they can brand it yes. and use the back end. I mean, That's right. so this is adding layers. It's adding profit centers to the business. Who was that? Like, Which one right. of you kind of went, why don't we – who was that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, Andrew is our CTO. He really has the vision for that. Yeah. Uh, so all along has had that idea of, you know, how we can add value there. So – you know, like every every other business in the world, the business of coaching is being disrupted. Yeah. And what a coach has to sell is their own intellectual property. Yeah. And so, you know, 10 years ago, if you were a coach, 
you'd be you know, probably less than this, but certainly 10 years ago, your days consisted of copying and pasting training plans in Word documents and Excel and whatever. Well, you know, technology can do that for you today. Yeah. And, and so what our system is about for a coach is they can create their own little microclimate there with their own branding. That's just kind of tip of the iceberg. They create their own workouts, their own media library, get, you know, their, their customers can visualize data in the way that coach wants use the sports science the coach wants to use, not forced to use a certain sure. sort of yeah, yeah. sports science. So it really lets a coach work in the way they want to work. And that's been a very successful business for us. And there's actually three ways you know, we, we, we get customers. So self-coached athletes who come to us and use our tools online yeah. under today's plan banner, coach athletes who are using, you know, have chosen a coach and using yeah. that coach's uh, methodology and IP. But the third one is a business-to-business sell. And this is about providing cloud services to industry. So people that want the whole, everything that our platform offers, but they want to run it with their own customer database and their own uh, app layer over the top and then bring to life the things that, that they want their customers to see. And typically that's, or that may not be around training. We're working on some uh, some exciting deals at the moment that I can't talk about, yeah, yeah. but we'll actually be pivot points for our platform. But if you think about you know, what's at the heart of our platform, it's this very big, complex data platform. Think about other people in the sports tech space and their need to have cloud platforms, we bring a lot of that to the table and they can work on the things that really count for them, which is the user experience. And, and underlying it all is the essence of business, right, which is solving problems. Which is, Absolutely. I'm interested in your creative process. Like the profit centers that you're finding, you're going, you know, here's this athlete, here's the here's coaches, here might be an enterprise solution for people that want to use data in different ways. How does your creative process in the business work? Like, I mean, what I'm asking is, you've obviously looked at your business and you've it's almost as if you guys are going, how can we offer the most value to the most diverse base of people? How can we extract the best possible value for our business from these different offerings? What can you offer people about looking into their own businesses to find the hidden profit centers? You guys seem to be doing this really well. You've got a great base product that you have a lot of trust in. You've got a great team. But you seem to be very good listening to you at going, hang on, there's, there's another application here. There's another application here. How do you do that? Like, how, do you just teach us the, the mindsets behind what, how you guys come at this. Sure. So I think s- some of these things we had the vision for right at the start. Andrew, James, and I sat in a, in a room that's now our office yeah. and put this stuff up on the big whiteboard and, and drew the links about the different types of customer groups, yeah. the teams we wanted to go after, the B2B targets that we had, yeah. you know, the, the businesses in cycling, and that eventually we would branch into multi-sport, you know, triathlon yeah, yeah. and the like, which which we've just done in April. And so a lot of that came from the vision, but equally, you know, in the same way we listen to customers, we try and listen to partners yeah. and we try, we, we not just try, we do listen to our staff a lot and just take as much information as we can in and think about things. Got to be careful there. You know, it's easy to have good ideas. We call that the good ideas factory. And if, and if you, you once you open the can of worms, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you, there's, there's no shortage of good ideas. Yeah. So you can think about those things and, and often good ideas, I think this goes for everything in life, good ideas often are not just born and there they are. This might start with something that doesn't seem that 
you know that that spot on to start with but you iterate it you discuss it you you talk about it and you work it into an idea and then hey what does that cost to implement that idea what's the likely return and so you're able to rack and stack those ideas in terms of priorities mm. and so hey we've we've probably got 100 ideas and the resources to do 10 you know and that's that's like most businesses i think so the essence of your decision-making process appears relatively collaborative, and I wanted to talk about that. You've got Andrew, James, Matthew, Mark, yourself. You've got other people, obviously, in a growing business. This is quite a good team. Like, it's an interesting mix of personalities. Sure. We always ask our guests, does everyone play nicely in the sandpit? What, how do you guys work with difficult decisions? How do you work with conflict? We've had a guy in last week, Pat, who's got 250 staff, give or take now, and it's a ro- what we call robust discussions. You know, there's some. It's, it's a pretty strong group. How do you guys respect each other, value each other? How do you push each other? How do you push back? What's that culture like in this nerve center? Of- oh, look, it's we, we're all uh, we all just hold hands in the morning and have a sing along, and uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's no there's no type A personalities. No, in our, don't in sound like it. No, in every successful tech business I've worked in, yeah. there are people who drive the organization. And you know, make things happen. And you know, you you know, we mentioned one of those guys at Apple earlier, right? In our company, and we've got those people as well. That's their strength. And and my job as the CEO is is to make sure that 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 strength, you know, of those personalities don't leave a, a trail of destruction, you know, in, in their path or in, in their in their wake. And that we're bringing everyone along with us. And so I think it's it's about communication with the whole team. It's it's about having that shared vision, the shared goal, making sure people understand, you know, where we're going. Yeah, of course, we deal with conflict. We we deal with all the sort of stuff you deal with in a workplace. But equally, we're all adults. We all have the shared vision. And you have those adult discussions and you get it done. And as a team, you know, I'm very proud of, of the things we've got done. You know, this this year we had a major, major push to reinvent our platform for multi-sports. So moving from just a cycling product to to include eight other sports. Wow. You, know, you know, significantly run and swim, but but others as well. Yeah. And, you know, the team effort in that was it's the most remarkable team effort I've ever been involved in in my life. How you know? do you explain that? Like, what what is that? Why is there buy-in? You talk about communication. I can I can imagine you in there, you know, constantly painting a picture. Here's where we're going. Here's what we're trying to do. But to, to make a big pivot, well, not a pivot, but a, to, to shift into multi-sports, was it just the novelty? Was it the excitement that everybody wanted to try something new? How do you explain the fact that you had a good positive vibe around it? Novelty and excitement wear off they do. quickly. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, the first, you know, the first midnight finish uh, wipes the uh, wipes the fud off that. But look, I think it's it was the the shared purpose and why we're doing that. You know, we, we're not we're not just doing it because we think technically it's a great idea or it's a great solution. We're doing it because it gives us a much larger addressable market globally. Yeah. You know, we discussed that as a team that, you know, we we clearly identified the work that needed to be done, you know, and, and, and we're all pretty scared about the amount of work that needed to be done. But but having understood that, I think that's a really important thing, the expectation. This is going to be an incredible, uh, you know, we're saying to ourselves and saying to the team, this is going to be a really hard three months, yeah. you know, four months of, of getting this done. And it was. It was very, very stressful on everyone. But everyone had that expectation that 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 here's what we were doing, and that we could see ourselves moving through that pile of work, and it was enormously 
proud moment for us all to say, hey, we got there. Yeah. You know, we, we, we got there. You get to the start line and then you find, you know, you, you, uh, you know, roll it out to our existing customers. You find we've, we haven't got some things right. You know, we've made a few mistakes. You've got to go back in and fix them quickly. So when you think you're at the finish line, actually- Someone moves it. You, you're just at the start gate for the finish line. There's something that you valued about Matthew, which is this concept of, you know, of partnerships and building partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um so classically, you've got Covey's win-win. I don't know if you ever read The Speed of Trust, which I think was written by Covey's son. And the, the mantra in that book is, when trust is high, costs are low. When trust is low, costs are high. And there's a, gr- a great example where uh, you know um, Warren Buffett from Berkshire Hathaway did a merger worth about 500 mil with no lawyers. The guy did it with on hand Smart, shot. smart man. Yeah, yeah. He was like, and, and the idea was, you know, when trust is high, costs are low. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm fascinated by what you've learned from Matthew about, you know, you guys, you know, for people who aren't from a cycling background, Trek Segafredo and uh, and Team Sky, definitely the biggest, and it were two of the biggest, most prominent cycling teams on the world stage, major businesses. So today's plan with Ben and the team have done an amazing job securing these guys as partners over the last few years. So talk to us about how you build win-win with partners that you go after, because I'm, I'm interested in our listeners going, okay, where are the possible synergies for what they're doing? You know, there's got to be people trying to build partnerships where they're screwing everybody and it's mercenary. How do you guys avoid that? You obviously have. What's your approach to partnerships? What do you look for? How do you maintain them? What's the what's the secret sure. source? Yeah. Okay. So, how, how do we, what are we looking for? We're we're looking to work with leading brands. Uh, so it's a it's a deliberate strategy for us that as a tech startup for us to go and market to the world and build our platform to you know we're at fifty thousand users today to build that to a million users would cost us uh, in customer acquisition yeah, costs yeah. millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Yet at the same time, there are brands in the sports tech business out there, and I'll, I'll pick on cycling because that's that's been most of our heritage, that need services like ours. They don't have the sort of technology and, and platform stack that we have. And it's about picking those partners that have the strong brand and have a hole in their strategy that we can help them fix. Right. And it's about getting to the right people in those businesses, identifying the problem with them and helping them solve that problem in their business. And is that sort of what Matthew has brought, the awareness that if we just summarize what you're saying there, because I really want people to hear that, you've got to find who you need to talk to, you've got to find what their problems are, and you've got to help solve those problems or prove that you can, right? Yeah, I I think... You know, my, my background in business is I knew a lot of those things. For me, Matthew's that uh, has, has brought that sounding board. Hey, Matthew, I'm, I'm going to meet with such and such at, at, at this place. I just want to bounce my pitch, you know, what I'm saying to them yeah, off yeah. you. There's that sort of tactical nature, and he'll say, mm, you know, half and half, and you know, maybe you could add this. It's very, uh, very constructive. But then actually when it comes to writing the deal up, you know, to making the deal, to getting it crystallized, Matthew's thinking in that, you know, has just been pivotal for us, yeah. really important. So, you know, great to go build relationships, but unless you can monetize them, there's not a lot That's of right. value Otherwise, there. Otherwise, you've got a hobby. Yeah. I love that. So, what are you most proud of so far? Looking back at this journey that you've been on, if you could pick a couple of things that you go, you know what? That's a good thing. We've done well there. What are you proud of so far? Sure. Well, the most recent one is is launching multi-sport, you know, 
basically on time, you know, within a week of what, we, yeah, yeah. what we'd set as, as our own goal to set it. We set Easter and we, we launched in early April, yeah. so it was just after Easter. And then the public launch on the 26th of April and just the team effort there and, and the way that people in our team grew and stepped up, you know, to the plate and, and grew as individuals did some incredible things. I mean, you know, the whole team did incredible hours, incredible miles. I mean, that's, that's what happens uh, you know, when you're doing that sort of effort, but not just that, the personal growth of some of our staff, a uh, young guy who I know you know, uh, you, you ride with yeah. here occasionally, Canberra, he joined us two and a half years ago from uni. You know, he was a great young fella, bit raw around the edges yeah, yeah. straight out of uni. Part of our multi-sport launch was we put him on a plane to Europe for a month going over to see coaches, pitching coaches in oh, Europe. Yeah. You know, he met with Team Sky, took them through the platform changes we were making. I mean, you know, that's a that's a big deal, yeah. I think, for anyone in business to go spend a month on their own in Europe, let alone a guy who's uh, two and a half years into a, into a career with us. So the way, you know, the way he stepped up. But I could go through staff member by staff member and give that sort of example about how, you know, how people uh, really stepped up to the plate. And that, that team effort, I mean, we can, you know, a few of us can do whatever as individuals, but unless you've got the whole team yeah. swimming like that, it doesn't work. I'd say uh, the other things, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of is is uh, the partnerships that we've built, you know, the, the partnership with uh, with Trek Siegfrieda, you know, very early in the piece was was pivotal to us, dislodging our established competitor at Team Sky, becoming their exclusive data and analytics yeah. partner is a, is a massive achievement. And then our first uh, managed service cloud agreement with Stages, who are the yeah. the biggest manufacturer of power meters in the world, was a was an enormous achievement for us. Oh, I'm incredibly stoked for it. I'm just pumped listening to it. I. I Take us to the original Canberra Connection. Your offices are here, but but how did the Canberra Connection emerge for you guys? Right. Well, those three guys that had worked together previously, yeah. so Matthew, James, and Andrew, were all in uh, were all in Canberra, and that's uh, just just where we formed the company. So you're based in Sydney at the moment, but I know that uh, you've been here today in the winter in Canberra, and I know that this weather is is really pulling on your heartstrings, and there's probably a good chance you're just because <laughs> yes. the northern be- northern beaches of Sydney are overrated, really, when you can have a Canberra winter. That's right. L- luckily, I got used to it living in Bath in boarding oh, school for be, six yeah, years, that would, non-heated. That would, yeah. that would be worse. Just tell me, you know, you, you're obviously really proud of your people, which is a wonderful thing to hear, and you can hear it, in, and I can see it in you. Just quickly, your culture there, how do you explain it? You know, there's obviously a minimum number of or no offer psychopaths. There's obviously it's an exciting business to be in. It's an interesting business. Explain your culture to us. How do you reinforce it? Is it conscious views, deliberate, or is it just good people being good people? What What's the essence of your culture? Uh, look, I think we're all we're all passionate about the domain. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're passionate about cycling or triathlon, or you know, we're into our sport. Uh, that's really important. It's a great starting point. Uh, we like to go for a ride together. We don't do it as often as we should. You know, one of the tough things about being a, a small business punching above its weight, you know, 72% of our customers come from outside Australia. Yeah. And so we're always busy. And so we don't down tools often enough and just hop on our bikes. But, you know, I, I think our culture is about being open and, and honest and trying to be constructive. You know, just open communication, I think, paints the clear vision of, of where we're going and gets the best out of people. I want to ask you a couple of final things. Something we always ask people here is about how you manage yourself personally as a business operator. You've worked in some really interesting places and you're in a real upswing in your career and, and with what you're building. 
How do you manage your own time? Like when you walk in the front door, Michelle, who's built IntelliDocs, she said, you know, for her, it's about landing planes. She says she comes in and she's with the team and she's like, right, we've got one 747 here, but that's okay for half an hour. We've got one. We've got to get on the ground now. So when you walk in the morning, how do you plan your own days? How do you, how do you maximize your own leverage? How do you use yourself most effectively? How do you run your own day? Okay. So I have, uh, I run lists. Do you? Uh, because uh, my memory is just the place I like to forget things. So if I don't have it written down, yeah. it's not going to happen. So uh, I write myself lists of the big things that I need to get done. And the small things, because the small things are important to different people. Could be a, a casual employee who wants a who wants a couple of t-shirts to wear because he's proud of working for the company. You know that's important to him. That's as important as me talking to uh, Trek or Sky. So I I write things down. I make the list. I prioritize my own time, and then I I'm thinking about and you know Andrew and I spend a fair bit of time thinking about. Uh, how we're going to make the staff productive. You know, you've got yeah. short, medium, long-term goals. And then, you know, the days, you know, what we're doing for that day falls into that. We do a daily stand-up meeting in the in the morning, which is a bit of a software thing. Yeah. Short 10, 15-minute meetings where people are, you know, we're talking about what everyone's up to. You know, the big things, It's uh, not, we're not talking about that, you know, they're getting dressed and coming to work. <laughs> they're talking about the, uh, you know, the, the important things they're up to and any blockers that they've got. That's how we, you know, as a company, we, we manage our time right through the company. And are you, uh, are you a morning person or a night person? I'm a morning person. Really? I like to get up at five. I like to be on the bike at uh, 5.30 ideally. Yeah. Nothing, you know, in, a, in, a, in an arduous Sydney winter where it, Temperature slips below <laughs> ten degrees. Uh, there's uh, on the coast. No, it it really is beautiful. It was beautiful anywhere. Watching the sun come up, yeah. seeing the first rays of light, and as a friend of mine says, it sets up your day. And it's uh, you know it's it's really true. And that yeah, you know, that's important for us. So it, it's important for me personally to have that time on the bike where I can just think and think about the day ahead. Think you know get the endorphins running. We're proud of where we've we've been as a business. But we, we've now got really much bigger growth aspirations because we've just launched multi-sport. That over doubles or maybe trebles our market. Oh, yeah. But we want to increase the way people can use our tools, making them as easy to use as navigation. So we want to open our addressable market massively. So, you know, I said earlier we might have 100 priorities and the resources to do 10. Well, we've probably got 150 priorities and the resources to do 10. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've got to focus very carefully, you know, on, on the things we do to make sure we hitting home runs. Well, something I wanted to ask you before was with with all this complexity and opportunity and possibility, you are a data-driven guy. You do love the tech and the analytics side. Intuition for you? Is there ever a point where you go, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go this way? Are you, do you, where, where does intuition come in for you in business? In, intuition comes in when I'm dealing with people. It does. You know, the, the gut feel. If you've got a gut, bad gut feel about someone, yeah, yeah. listen to your gut. That's that's my thing. But other than that, I try and be data-driven. I try and listen to others and take those things into account. I, I try not to make gut decisions on things that we can use data for because otherwise I think you're driven by your own perspective rather than you know, a, a broader view of the world. Yeah. Well, you you said something I really liked in the the notes was uh, I asked you what you most enjoy about your work and what's most enjoyable, and you said, well, it's dealing with people. And the next question was, what is the hardest thing you face? And you said, dealing with people. And you had this great line where you said they don't always go in the direction you want. Yeah, that's right. So what do you enjoy about humans? What do you enjoy about pitching, about meeting people, about traveling? And the, you must get to meet some interesting people. You know, why aren't you sitting in a library or, you know, writing, doing something else? Like, what do you like about humans? 
Well, I think we're all wired differently, yeah. and and my my strength is dealing with people. Yeah. You know, that's that's a big role for me in the team. You know, you asked earlier about the different personality types, and important role of what I do is is bring the team together yeah. as you know as the leader of the business, and so. Uh, you know, you've got to use those skills outside as well and deal with partners and, and make the relationships that are going to set us up for the future. Because, you know, business has to be done on a fair degree of trust. I mean, you can have the best lawyers in the world. Yeah. You know, we don't have the money to have the best lawyers in the world. So, so we've really got to build good relationships, uh, have very clear communication with our partners, and then that lets us set up the deals and uh, relationships that we need in the future to make us really successful. But there seems to be something in you that when you when you go to meet people, you're not striking me as a kind of guy that's like, how can we maneuver this person to get the You know, you obviously are sort of more of a win-win thinker. One of my favorite entrepreneurs talks about think uh, 51, 49, you know, give the other person 51. Like, what's your mindset when you're coming to, to pitch, when you're coming to explain your vision, your platform, your offering? You obviously, you, you're not trying to trick people at all. No, you're- no in fact, you know, I'd say that's something I've learned from Matthew is, is what we're doing and our product and our vision and our managed cloud service is not for every other business. Our product's not for every other consumer. And trying mm. to force fit it to that and trying to make a bad deal is much worse than no deal at all. Sure. Because one of the enemies you have as a small business is spending too much time on the wrong things. Yeah. That's In fact, that's probably the biggest enemy. Yeah. And so if you have a bad partnership, it, it just chews so many calories. Yeah. You know, it, it can be the death of you. So just be upfront. Tell them the good and the bad and, and what we think we add to the deal and what we're looking for to get out of the deal. And it's not about trying to trick them or maneuver them or, or yeah. anything like that. It's uh, looking to see if there's a deal that really is win-win out of it. Yeah, synergy. Uh, last couple of things was to ask you, what keeps you going? Like you're still young, but you're also at a more advanced stage in your business journey. Like you're not, you didn't come in in, in flip-flops at 21 saying, dude, you know, you've seen a lot of the business world. I'm interested in what keeps you going. There's a huge amount of energy required for business operators and leaders and entrepreneurs to keep going. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously an exciting time. You've got a great business, but but what? why are you still in the game? Why are you not backing off? What keeps you moving forward? What are you looking forward to? I just need my mind to be active. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when I sold a business about 10 years ago, it was the aviation one yeah. you mentioned. I took some time off. My kids were on school holidays, summer school holidays. It was fantastic. You know, yeah. a couple of months off, we took a holiday. We, you know, spent time with the kids. We did this. They went back to school. You know, I did some jobs around the house. It was great. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks later, you're kind of tapping your fingers <laughs> saying, what's next? Uh, now, you know, some people, I had this conversation with a friend the other night and he, you know, he can't wait to do nothing to ride his bike yeah. to the beach and go for a coffee. Well, I do that. I just get up at 5.30 and do it so I'm at my desk yeah. at 7.30. So I don't aspire for, for that. You know, this to me is life. I enjoy this. I, yeah. I love what I do. Uh, my dad worked till he was 76. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to outdo him. I'd like to be 80. Yeah. You know, I, I think keeping your mind active is really important. I, I don't necessarily want to work the sort of hours and the intensity I work now. Yeah. But, you know, those those things are important to me. So that that drives me a lot. You know, personally and, and financially, I have a uh, – my wife and I have a special needs daughter. I want to make sure that she's set up for the rest of her life when, when we're too old or we die. Uh, you know, I'd hate to think she wasn't taken care of. Yeah. So those those things uh, those things motivate me. Keep you going. Keep you focused. Oh, uh, it just occurred to me to ask you – you are still very young. There's a long way to go, but 
intuitively, what do you think you want your business legacy to be? I think I'd like us to be known as the company that turned structured training on its head, uh, that made truly made it accessible to the masses, that people have that light bulb you know, moment that I had you know, doing that, that Convict 100 yeah. race. That's the legacy I think we'd like for our business. We want to bring the same technology, sports science and tools that are available to the world's best athletes and coaches to the every man and woman. So when today's plan is a massive global phenomenon, which I think it could be with what you've got and, and the people you've got, so you'll have this little office in uh, in Canberra and you'll, you'll you'll have head office in San Capitino or somewhere and and I want you to imagine that it's your farewell. You've got the gold watch. What do you think your people say about you? What would you like to? What would you like to hear? Gee, I, I don't. I wouldn't like to hear anything. I'm not. I'm not ego driven. Really? You know, I'm really not. You know, I, I'd, I'd like to think I've that, that I've helped people develop. Yeah, is, uh, is what I'd like to hear. I just clarify for you. Uh, we're here in Canberra. You know, this is yeah, this yeah. is a great place to do business, and this is our head office. Yeah. And we have no intention to move from here because of fantastic business community that's here. It's very special. You yeah. don't realise it, and you know until you come in as an outsider, as I have, just how strong it is. Yeah. It's fantastic. That's what I found doing the podcast. Is just I was like, you know, my good friend's a senator, and I asked him, you know, what's uh, what are our businesses here, and you know, he gave me some insights, but it's only talking to people like yourself and Michelle and, and Louise and other people that I've gone, hang on, there's some people here really having a crack mm. and doing big stuff. Yep. And especially Michelle with Intellilux, similar to you guys, when you mentioned before punching above your weight, she said that like 30 times. She just said, you know, small camera tech startups. So Yes. I, yes, I, I listen to her talking about it every time they, they say we've won a deal. Yeah, you know, yeah. a, a big competitor comes after them yeah, to shoot it out. Yeah, yeah tough. So... Last thing, I wanted to ask you, as I ask each person who comes on, if you could imagine being in a room with a hundred young starry-eyed business operators and entrepreneurs starting out, and you could offer them three pieces of advice from your journey so far about business, uh, what would you say to them? What are the three key things you think would be helpful to people to hear in their businesses now or starting out? Okay. I think the first one is, you know, it's going to be hard. And, and you're going to take, you know, you're really going to have to stick at it above and beyond anything you imagined. So it's you've, you've got to have a lot of perseverance. And if you don't have that, you should rethink your, your choice. Yeah. The second one I'd say to them is when they deal with people, whether it be their staff or partners or whatever, that, that assume that everyone has something to offer. And it's your job as a leader to get that something out of them. And if you don't get something out of them, they're not contributing or growing to your business, maybe they've failed, but maybe you failed as a leader as well. Right. And of course, not everyone's worked out in our business. Not everyone's with us that's joined us. That's, that's just a fact of life. And I take that as a, as a personal failure as well. I've, I've, I haven't got the best out of that person that's maybe possible. And I think the third one is, it's maybe obvious, but it's often overlooked by the, by the kind of the starry-eyed and, and, and glitter in the dreams is you've got to have a financial plan, yeah. and that financial plan needs to be very, very conservative because things always cost a lot more, they take a lot longer, <laughs> and your revenue growth True. and your customer growth is you know just, just slower than you'd hoped and you think. So you can see some yeah. real great signs of life, but, but your revenue and whatever may be lower. And so you need to have a financial plan to deal with that. And that could be perhaps you and your, your wife or your husband are doing the business and one of them is going to stay at work and the other one's going to run the business. And, and it's that salary that's going to drive the household financials and, and the, 
the business. There's got to be a plan or you're going to raise some money from angels, whatever it is. But you can't deny the financial. Don't don't put your head in the hand in the sand with a financial plan. You've got to have a very very conservative financial plan, because a lot of good ideas just die by withering on the vine through through lack of financial nutrition. My friend, I want to thank you for making the time for us. You know, you've been with family and you've had a very busy day. I love what you're doing. I, I just think the way you've, you've articulated just the simple idea that vast numbers of people can improve performance through using technology, using the Today's Plan platform in new ways. I'll take 23% improvement. Where I don't care what I don't know what I don't care what the price point is. I'm going. I'll be straight on the internet after this, mate. Thanks for thanks for building a business. I say that to people. Thanks for you know growing a business, providing salaries, helping you know allowing other people to pay mortgages and school fees, and growing the Commonwealth of the nation just by your entrepreneurship and your leadership in business. I'm going to give people plenty of directions of where to find today's plan and to get in touch with a little bit of your story. But very best of luck to you guys, to your whole team. You deserve every success. It's a necessary, useful, and excellent product, and I wish you every success. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on your show. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks, mate. Hey, everybody. Jonathan with you again. How good was that, huh? Uh, Another great interview with a great business person creating such good results here in the national capital. Another Canberra business success story. There was so much in that. I loved his attention to data, to to his decision-making processes, to how he relates to his own people, to his thoughts on the tech space in general, how technology is a real game-changer. There's just so much that this company is going to do, so I hope that you extracted some value there. Please make sure you've subscribed. I mentioned that at the start. Please make sure you've hit the subscribe buttons. Do me a favor. Would you share this episode with a few people? Would you grab the link and just share it with people who need to be encouraged in their business journey, who may you know, really derive some benefit from Ben's wisdom? Look, check out today's plan. Go to their website. Look at what they're doing. If you're into any kind of sport, if you're into fitness and well-being, they're really worth it. It's really worth knowing what today's plan is really doing. It's a great website, very simple, very intuitive. So go and check out today's plan. Check out the other links in the show notes. Uh, Check out the Canberra Executive Coaching website. That's my company there. If you'd like to uh, talk about some tailored seminars, some uh, motivational speaking, anything that would really help your staff push through difficult issues and improve their own level of performance, I want you to get in touch with me. So that's it for this week. Thanks to Ben Bowley. Thanks to today's plan. We're going to have another great guest for you next week. I'm Jonathan Doyle. This has been the Canberra Business Podcast. I'll speak to you again next week.